0: Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study.
1: Hello, faithful friends, and thank you for joining me as we continue our look into the parables of Christ. And today we're going to be taking a look at one of those lesser-known parables of Yahshua. It's lesser-known in the fact that it's really not mentioned as much by theologians as it should be. And as a result, unlike a majority of Yahshua's parables... The one that we're going to be taking a look at today, Lazarus and Dives, is unique in that Yahshua actually uses a particular man's name in this. You know the stories. Perhaps you've noticed that as Yahshua teaches his parables, he will normally say, the kingdom of heaven is like this, or there was a certain man who... But that is not the case when we contrast the lives of these two particular individuals. So, without further ado, turn with me to St. Luke chapter 16. And it's here where we're going to be looking at the parable of Lazarus. A parable pertaining to Lazarus himself. And as we go through this, do not be deceived into thinking that this is the same Lazarus of Bethany. There are numerous men by the name of Lazarus mentioned within the Scripture. And for sake of this illustration, this Lazarus is entirely different than all of the others. And understand, as we go through this, that a majority of theologians, including Martin Luther despised what was transcribed right here. They did not like it. And as a result, they would come in and they would bicker and argue and say, Well, you know what? This particular parable or allegory of Yahshua doesn't seem to fit the mold or the theme of everything else that Christ taught. But I'm going to prove to you that this parable is not far removed from anything else that Jesus the Christ taught. So in chapter 16, 17, and 18, those three chapters in the gospel according to St. Luke, those three chapters are considered Luke's special section because there are teachings and parables that are found only within those three chapters. And fortunately, they are grouped together. Now what we are covering this Sunday morning falls under that category. This is part of Luke's special section and as a result appears only in the gospel according to Luke. So we will not be jumping around throughout the Bible except to establish the facts that are found right here, beginning in chapter 16. Now at the beginning of chapter 16, Yahshua gives his parable of an unjust steward. And he explains this for the most part in verse 13, where he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. A polite way of saying you cannot serve God and worldly riches, or God or Satan, or Yahweh and sin. If you serve sin and Satan, you will end with them, according to Matthew chapter 25. And if you serve God, you will end with Him, according to 1 Thessalonians and John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. So at the beginning of chapter 16, here in Luke, Yahshua gives this parable of an unjust steward. And rest assured, I'll be bringing an entire study on the unjust steward in the near future. He also teaches on two different standards of life and two different institutions. And before we really truly go into the actual experience of two beggars, let's take a look at that very quickly, see what happens. Beginning in verse 14, the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things and they derided him. Who? Yahshua. What can we learn? The Pharisees were covetous. In the Greek, this is philar as a word. And it means they're money lovers. And it refers to the mammon that we already discussed. And this is why Yahshua sets up these two particular standards. You cannot serve God or mammon, right? You cannot serve both. And understand this point. This is a very simple part of Christendom. This is for lack of a better term, Christianity 101. But yet, this is not taught within the land, is it? Because your average Judeo-Christian comes in and says, you know what, you can live however you want, you don't have to have an outward change, you do not even have to change your life. But Yeshua says you cannot serve both. There is no gray area. If you are to serve God, then you must hate mammon. And if you serve the world's riches, then you hate God, right? Yahshua taught it. You will love one and despise the other or hold to one and love the other. So the Pharisees were covetous. They desired many things and they heard all the things that Yahshua taught. Pertaining to God or mammon or the two standards of life. Now, this is not far removed from the Old Testament because we're taught this in First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. We also learn of this in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, the two standards of life, God or mammon. So the Pharisees should have known this, but rather, they came in and they derided Yahshua. In the Greek, this is ekmekterizo as a word, and it means to steer at, literally to turn the nose up at. Therefore, that's what the Pharisees did. Yahshua came in and he taught. There's one standard that is acceptable with Yahweh God and there's another standard for the world. And isn't it ironic that the Pharisees would deride Yahshua. They would sneer. They would hold their nose up thinking they were altogether better than Christ our Redeemer. What happens? Well, verse 15 says, He, Yahshua said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What did Jesus just teach you? Anything down here that you may come across within your walk in 2016 or even in the future, is an abomination in the eyes of God if it is highly esteemed in the eyes of men. Once again, two different standards. A standard that the Pharisee held to. A standard that they would come in and they would not touch lepers or they would not go around those that were of low degree or those that were downtrodden. Well, that's not Yahweh God, is it? So once again, understand that. And this is why I'm establishing this before we even look at the parable of Lazarus and Dives. So, what are the two different institutions? There are two different institutions spoken of by Yahshua. Beginning in verse 16 of chapter 16 here in Luke, Yahshua continues by saying not only that anything that is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the eyes of God, there's your Elvis. There's your Bill Gates. There's your Donald Trump. There's anything or anybody who is highly esteemed down here in this Babylon that we find ourselves in is an abomination in the eyes of God. But if we flip that, understand also that those that are considered to be an abomination in the eyes of the world (laughs) are the apple of Yahweh's eye, are they not? But that is what Yahshua's is teaching here. Two different standards of life and two different institutions. So he says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Every man desires to have it. Even the Pharisees, even the scribes and the Sadducees, even those within Christian identity, who come in and do the work of the enemy. They all desire the kingdom of God but seemingly do not understand just like the Pharisees of old that the kingdom of God has already come upon them. That's what Yahshua did and that is why I'm spending so much time within his parables. Because a majority of Yahshua's paraboles deal with the kingdom or being outside of that same said kingdom. And that, my friend, is exactly what we're going to look at when we deal with this certain rich man And the certain beggar, Lazarus, two different standards, right? God, mammon. The way of the world is to come in and say, well, Billy Graham, even though he's a Pharisee, he makes lots of money. He must be great, truly blessed by Yahweh God, right? With all that mammon. (laughs) So consider the irony. Two different institutions. The law and the prophets were until John. That means that when Yahshua came, he fulfilled with his ultimate sacrifice that same law. Not the prophets, but the law codified it. And this is why Yahshua would say, Until heaven and earth pass, well, not one jot, no, one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law. He even reiterates that here in verse 17. He says, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. Kind of an interesting statement, don't you think? Because Yahshua just said, The law and the prophets were until John. Meaning that your average Judeo-Christian can come in and say, well, the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, is done away with. Yeshua is obviously antinomian. Yet he goes in right here into saying, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass or pass away completely than for one tittle of the law to fail. (laughs) How easy is it for heaven and earth to pass away? Well, that's an impossibility, because we learn in Scripture that this world is without end, amen. That is, this world, maybe the cosmos and or the age, will do away with and usher in a third and final. But this earth, dear kinsfolk, folk, we will not blow it up. <laughs> we have never been able to blow it up, and even though evil men and Pharisees and Evil institutions like organized religion have waged wars in the name of Yahweh God. Isn't it ironic that 7,000 years after a majority of the book was codified, here we still sit. And here, men still cry and complain and say we're going to blow ourselves up. No, we won't. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. What's a tittle? That's a crossing of a T. That's a dotting of an I. That's one jot, one iota of the law. It is easier for this earth to pass away. (laughs) Is this earth still spinning on its axes? Indeed, it is. Therefore, the law of God is more stable than the laws of nature. Perhaps that's a study for another day, but we're dealing with two different institutions. This institution is the law and the prophets, a polite way of saying the Old Testament. And that truly was applicable until John, that is, for sin atonement and for making sacrifices under the Mosaic law. And that is why it would be easier for heaven and earth to pass, according to Yahshua, than for one tittle of the law to fail. And in fact, notice what he says in this very odd verse. Verse 18 in chapter 16, before he actually begins his parable of Lazarus and dies, he says, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her that is put away or divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into that, but notice that the Pharisees sneered at Yahshua. They said, Oh, Here comes a lawless person. After all, the Pharisees hid behind the law, but seemingly could never exercise it, never obey it, or do what it says. And so, Yahshua teaches two different standards. One which is God's, and one which is man's. God's judgment is entirely different than man's. And two different institutions. The Old Testament, and now, my friend, we are in the New Testament. But Yahshua... References, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, where the Pharisees came up to Yahshua and they said, Hey, is this the original plan? Can you divorce your wife or your husband for any reason? And Yahshua said, In the beginning it was not so. God designed one man, one woman, to be married forever, and also in the coming kingdom. That is why, until death do us part, does not mean until the physical death. But naturally, only the flesh man will understand that. So I'm not going to digress into looking into Yahshua's law on divorce, but Yahshua codified, one-upped, and strengthened this law. He says, Whosoever putteth away his wife and remarries another commits adultery, right? Well, that's the law. That's not far removed. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law, right? To fail, Yeshua then goes into the law and adds to it. He says, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband, that's a divorced woman, also commits adultery. So I bring that up to lay the groundwork before we look at this parable and also... To maybe shock you into the realization that what you're being taught within Judeo-Christendom is not the word of God. It's not codified. Yahshua did not come in and say you can do anything you want. You can divorce whoever you want. You can follow your own heart, your own mind, or whatever standards you erect. Rather, he already established this one standard. The law, right? That law, the prophets, that was until John. He didn't do away with it. Rather, He was the law. He was the Word. So, in beginning the parable of Lazarus and Dives, let's now begin reading in St. Luke, chapter 16, verse 19. Remember, Yahshua goes through all of this. He's being ridiculed by the Pharisees, but he's teaching on two different standards. The standard of the world that the Pharisee will come in and judge everybody else according to. And the standard of the word of God, who Yahshua, I might add, is. But ultimately, each and every Israelite, man, woman, or child are judged according to. That word of God, correct? So he says, in parable form, beginning in verse 19. Brand new manuscript in Luke's special section. He says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. This is the parable of Christ, and notice he says there is a certain rich man. Almost every time Yahshua would preach, he would say, Woe unto ye rich, for ye have received your reward. Or, he would rebuke those that were rich by way of ill-gotten gains. Understand the difference between those who are covetous like the Pharisees, right? And those that are righteous because we don't know the difference in our judgment. If we meet a brother or sister in Christ and he's amply blessed and he has lots of money, we really, on our initial meeting, do not know if that man made his money because Yahweh blessed him or if they were ill-gotten gains, right? So, there was a certain rich man. There was, or there was not. Which? (laughs) So, when it comes down to it, if there was not, then Christ told an untruth in this parable. But there is. And this is a literal allegory. Meaning, Yeshua came in, and granted, this is a fiction to us in the era we find ourselves in. But when Yeshua spoke it, this particular Lazarus was well known. And that is why I said what I said at the beginning. Unlike almost every parable, this one has a certain beggar, and this certain beggar is named, called out by name, unlike almost every other parable. Yeshua would say to those goats, Depart from me, but those goats are a multitude of people. Yeshua would teach us that the tares are gathered and burned first, but Those tares are a proverbial group of people. The enemy. Not so in this particular proverb. Notice in verse 20, Yeshua says, There was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Stopping right there. That was his name. This was a real man. And you need to understand that. Because the last 2,000 years of Christendom, for the most part, has stayed away from the parable of Lazarus and dies. Why? Because it deals with the topic of hell. Eternal torment, which ultimately hell itself is cast into a lake of fire, according to the book of Revelation, but they avoid the teaching on Abraham's bosom. They avoid the teaching of Sheol. My opinion into why the false prophet avoids this particular parable is because they themselves know they are condemned. What happens to the certain rich man in contrast to the certain beggar? Two different classes. Once again, do you see where we're going with this? A certain rich man, a certain beggar. Yahshua taught already two different institutions, two different standards of life, and says you cannot serve God or mammon. So, in this particular parable, he's going to use two particular classes. A rich man and a beggar. And you decide, dear friend, as we go through this, who is serving God and who is serving mammon. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. What does that denote? That means that this man, for lack of a better term, was born with a silver spoon within his mouth. That he likely never labored in his entire life. And he had enough money that he could wear the finest linen, buy the finest fabric, and go to the finest events. And he fared sumptuously every day, meaning that no matter where he went, he was never in want of anything, that is, within the ways of mammon. His meals were provided him. He had the finest clothes, and naturally, being a rich man, would have probably the finest home in all of Jerusalem. Now, Yeshua, Jesus to Christ, contrasts this. He says, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores. Whose gate? The certain rich man. Who is unnamed in this parable, but Lazarus is named. So you should already be able to see who's serving God and who's serving Mammon. All these things that are mentioned by the rich man, being clothed in purple and fine linen and faring sumptuously, that is Mammon, in its most simplistic terms, the world's riches, and that is what drives us in this latter era, friend. Perhaps you've heard people say that. Well, i got to go to work, got to make lots of money. After all, I want to be a success in this world. <laughs> but yet we already covered it. What is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. If you understood that, then you would not be wrapped up within Judaism, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to be rich, and turning your back on particular people who may desire your help. Lazarus, notice, the certain beggar, he laid at his gate, who? The certain rich man, meaning he probably came and knocked on his door every day. And he laid down within the dirt, the dust, and he was walked over time and time again by the likes of this, the certain rich man, just like the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees wouldn't go around the lepers, but Joshua would, and so we see. In verse 19 and 20, here in St. Luke chapter 16, Yahshua, in beginning his parable of the rich man, already sets out the two classes. 19 being mammon, and 20 in pertaining to Lazarus being God. But notice, those that serve mammon, according to Yahshua's parables and almost all of his teaching, are those that come in and oppress those who are Righteous. Because they can only judge the outward appearance. They say, this man's a little overweight. This man has leprosy. He's not altogether as perfect as me. In fact, he must be cursed of Yahweh God. But didn't I already establish in this very series that Yahweh God is near to those that are downtrodden and of a contrite spirit? If Yahweh God is near to them and far removed from the rich or they that are whole, then you already know who Yahshua is is going to side with in this parable. And notice also that this is in reference to the Pharisees, right? Verse 14, the Pharisees, who were covetous, heard all these things and derided Jesus Christ. So, continuing on in verse 21, what did Lazarus do? Christ says, Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came, and licked his sores. Licking his sores usually denotes that this man was a leper, and also being outside the city. That's the terminology, right? Laid at his gate, outside the kingdom, not within the city of Jerusalem, but actually outside. Therefore, we could say that this certain beggar was a leper. Therefore, it stands to reason that he was a beggar, because he could not find employment. He couldn't do anything. Rather, he'd be exiled by not only the Pharisees, but the certain rich man. Who had more power? Not the Pharisee, the rich man. The rich man had the ability and the money and the funds to do good, but did it not? Therefore, it was sin to the rich man. But this, of course, is speculation. Let's just look at it like this. Two classes of people. A rich, high-profile Hollywood celebrity who has the ability to take one day of his own money, of the money that he spends living sumptuously, and feed the entire nation's homeless population, right? We have that class, and that is what the world comes in and says is great. It's what we should all aspire to be. But yet none of them are known of God. Every one of them, according to what we've covered today, these Hollywood actors, these politicians... These men and women who are considered great in the eyes of the world like the Pharisees and the certain rich man in this parable are an abomination. Not just disgusting. Not just cast out. An abomination in the eyes of Yahweh. You understand that's very harsh indictment. An abomination. So, Lazarus, most likely a leper, laid at the gate of Jerusalem... And men and women would enter in and go out of that same gate of Jerusalem, right? Because it was a walled city. And the rich men usually would not even so much as throw a quarter towards the leper. Why? They were more concerned with catching leprosy than doing good works. Or they were more concerned with their social status, like the Pharisees, who would come in and say, If this man were the Son of God, truly he would know that he hangs out with sinners and publicans.
0: Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by GodCast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in his Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow him to lead your life and help to build his church so that when he returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message.
1: So Lazarus was a certain beggar. And he desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Who? The rich man in Yahshua's allegory, who lived sumptuously, gluttonously, and probably had more than enough food to feed every downtrodden soul within the city of Jerusalem. That's what he desired. And not only that, dogs would come and lick his sores because he just laid within the dirt outside the gate. Where was the compassion of the Israelite men, women, and children? And in context, where was the compassion of the Pharisees and those that were rich amongst Judea? There was no sympathy. And ironically, there was no empathy either. And we live in a society just like that. It's relatively much easier to go out and have sympathy for a homeless man than it is to truly empathize with them empathize means to feel what that particular person feels. To sympathize means you feel sorry for them, or you look down your nose at them, or you come along like the Pharisees and say, well, that man must be cursed of God, or else he would not be outside the kingdom. He would not be down within the dirt, and he would not have dogs come and lick his sores. Thus, Yahshua and this parable contrasts the two. Their experience of death, Notice this is life right here in these three verses between 19 and 21. This is their life. Certain rich man, he lived sumptuously. There was a certain beggar and he was full of sores. He lived grievously, right? And for all intents and purposes, as they live, just like now, the world would come in and say Lazarus was unsuccessful. And the certain rich man, well, he made lots of money. (laughs) Like that means anything. So here we are. And Yahshua goes to contrast it. Continuing his allegory in verse 22 in Luke chapter 16, he says, It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died also and was buried. Stopping right there. What can we learn? Well, number one, and perhaps most importantly, is angels only carry particular men and women in Scripture to paradise. They never carry the sinful to the abode of the dead or a place of everlasting torment. Why is that? Because there is a gulf and that gulf is fixed. Understand that the realm of hell or Hades or Sheol is in plain sight, in plain view of the kingdom. And we're going to establish that right here. But notice, in the natural order of things, the beggar died. And he was carried by the angels. So, remember, angels don't carry people to graves, but only to paradise. Read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And also, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. And Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. The angels do two particular things. In Yahshua's parables, they will gather the tares. They will burn them. That's one thing they do, is destroy. Consider Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Yahweh God who sent angels into that city, right? To destroy it. But angels will only carry the Zadok, the righteous. Those that are unrighteous, they don't carry to the grave. Why? Well, perhaps that'll make more sense as we get to the bottom of this. Abraham's bosom. This is a phrase that is used among our people to signify paradise. And why? Well, in Scripture, when we hear the terminology, so-and-so's bosom, it usually denotes a closeness, or in relative proximity to. Therefore, paradise is considered Abraham's bosom. Why? Because we are near to Abraham. And every Israelite was made a promise through Jacob, the seed of Abraham, right? Isaac and Jacob. So the very grandchild was made a promise, Abraham. And his seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And his seed should be so plentiful that if you could even count the stars in heaven, you could count the Israelites. But that's not possible. So this is what Abraham's bosom is. This same terminology that's transliterated Abraham's bosom (laughs) is called paradise in Luke chapter 23. And in order to really establish what I said, that is, that being in the bosom of another means the one next to him at that time, all you really need to do in your free time is read the gospel according to John, chapter 13, verse 23, and you'll see, Yahshua's bosom denotes that somebody was near to him. In that particular instance, Simon Peter, the disciple whom Yahshua loved. So, this is what Abraham's bosom is. Before the resurrection of Christ, all the righteous souls go to paradise for a latter judgment. But perhaps that's a study I need to bring in its entirety. In hell, Yahshua says. Notice he's not drawing straws here. And the way of the false prophet is to come in and say hell does not exist, really. Really? Notice Yahshua just said right here in his parable, in hell. (laughs) I cannot establish this enough. In Greek, what's this word? Hades. You've heard that before, right? It's the unseen world of the departed spirits. And it's the equivalent of Sheol. Because Sheol is Hebrew. When you say Hades, that's the Greek equivalent of the same exact word, hell. Yahshua didn't come and say he went into a grave for a latter judgment. Yeshua didn't come in and say, you know what? He instantly came to the great white throne judgment. Rather, he says that in process of time, the rich man died also and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. <laughs> in Greek, this word is vassanos. It means going to the bottom and the lowest form of torture. Pure, unadulterated pain, my friend, And that is what we're discussing here. So, two points, right here in verse 23. Hell is used as a word, and torments. Why it is so hard for particular men and women to understand the concept that Yahweh God must send the unrighteous, those who serve mammon, to a place of eternal torment in order for it to be fair for us to abide in paradise forever is beyond me. Seems perfectly fair to me. Why should the sinful fare better than we do? And of course, man or a woman would come in and say, "Well, that's not really the case because they don't come into the kingdom, right? They don't have eternity. They don't have paradise." And isn't that apropos and part of the course? I think so. Part of the course because Yahweh God chooses to meet the beggars, the sick, those that need Him and desire Him. The rich man didn't, so. The rich man in hell lifts up his eyes and being in torment sees Abraham afar off. He's in hell. He sees Abraham. Is Abraham in hell? No. Abraham's within the kingdom. Thus the terminology Abraham's bosom. Remember the beggar died and is carried by angels directly into the kingdom. Considered Abraham's bosom. And considered Abraham's bosom only here. This is the only place right here in Luke chapter 16 where this term is. Even appears. Yet another reason modern theologians steer clear of the parable of Lazarus and dives. But the certain rich man sees Abraham far off, and Lazarus within his bosom. Lazarus was near to Abraham. Abraham was within the kingdom. Therefore the kingdom is what? Abraham's bosom. So For those of you who have emailed me and asked this particular question, what is Abraham's bosom? Simple, paradise. Not where the rich man goes, but in plain sight thereof. There's a gulf between the two. Why am I spending time here? Because your average Judeo-Christian comes in and he says, you know what, heaven is in the clouds and hell is beneath the earth. But that's not what Yahshua taught. Yahshua taught that there were many kingdoms That we go into paradise and or even restored. We're the children of that kingdom. But there is also teachings that many other people, for example, go on to be kings and queens within their own right. Many people go to hell. And thus is the case of the certain rich man. This man was in hell, but he was in plain sight while he was in torment of Abraham and Lazarus. The same man and the same beggar that he looked down upon as he lived. So, he sees Abraham and Lazarus next to him. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. In this flame. Three points now. Hell, torment, flame for eternity. Okay? So, this is very important. The Judeo's don't believe in heaven or hell. They don't believe in God or the devil. Therefore, it's really easy to see Judaism, whether it's in Christendom or it's in Christian identity. But Scripture, Yahshua teaches most assuredly on eternal torment. Notice right here, there's a little change, isn't there? In the mind of the certain rich man, because the certain rich man as he lived, lived sumptuously. Would never go around someone like Lazarus. And now that he's in the abode of hell, or Hades itself, in eternal torment and eternal flame, he says to Abraham, hey, send Lazarus over here, that leper, and let him drip a drop of water off his leprous, scaly, infected, bleeding Pussy finger into my mouth why I am tormented in this flame. There are ten sources of torment to the lost that are covered in scripture. And I don't have the time for those today, but this is just one, eternal flame. Another one is outer darkness. Another one is wailing and gnashing of teeth. So the rich man cries out to Father Abraham. And says, send Lazarus, right? Because Lazarus is in the kingdom and I'm in this place of eternal torment. What does Abraham say? Verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receives thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Two classes, God, mammon, right? Old Testament, New Testament, the Pharisees and Christians, the rich man and Lazarus or Lazarus and dives, we could say. Notice Abraham tells them, as you lived, Lazarus received evil things. He wasn't as lucky as you. He sat outside the kingdom. He got leprosy. And to add insult to injury, the Pharisees and the rich people and even many Israelites would come in and say, oh, that's because he sinned. That's because God hates him. God cursed him. But in the end, that's what mattered. What we're dealing with here is 2,000 years old. How many generations have come and gone while that certain rich man still is within this abode of eternal torment and Lazarus still is comforted? That's the terminology that is used. He is comforted, Lazarus, and thou art tormented. So, great. Good going. 40, 50 years as you lived. (laughs) Yeah, you were rich, but you never fed the hungry. You had the ability, probably, to give Lazarus a really good life. But like most rich men and women, they only entertain other rich people and don't care about the poor. Because they think they're so much better. And this is the judgment, is it not? This is what's being contrasted. The judgment of men. In the mind of the rich man, everything that happened to Lazarus was evil, so he stayed away from him. But in the mind of Yahweh God, everything that happened to Lazarus was so he could spend eternity within the kingdom. And what's the greater gift? Being comforted by Yahweh God in heaven, quote unquote, or being tormented for eternity by flame. But notice also, as I have mentioned, while they are in plain sight, so much so that the rich man can cry out to Lazarus, seeing them, once a particular person goes into the kingdom, or a particular person goes into Sheol, there is no returning. They are in plain sight, and that makes perfect sense to me, because the children of the kingdom should see those that were cast out. That's part of their reward. And those tares that are gathered and burned, right? should see what they missed out on for eternity, as they are not comforted, but tormented. Make sense? Abraham continues in verse 26. He says, Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. A great gulf. This word is chasma. It's where we derive our modern day term chasm. So understand that. Between heaven and hell, there is a chasm. A quote-unquote Great gulf. And not only that, it is fixed. It's unmovable. Once you are cast into hell, you cannot return. And once you are accepted and told, Enter in, my faithful servant, you also are fixed within that kingdom. He says, Besides all of this, between us and you is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So, at judgment, it is too late. And when are you judged? Well, according to this narrative, at death. Instantly. This wasn't at the third and final earth age or the second advent of Yahshua. This is two particular classes of people who both died and both were judged and both were sent to their place. Now, the certain rich man goes to hell. But the certain beggar, Lazarus, has the ability to be a partaker within the kingdom. Notice also that Yeshua would teach the Pharisees that they cannot partake of the kingdom. Part of their hell would be that they could see the kingdom but are cast out themselves. You've heard me teach on this. Why? Well, that's because there is a permanent gulf fixed. An impassable gulf between two abodes of departed souls. And there are only two abodes. Notice purgatory doesn't enter into the picture here. He says... Neither can they pass to us that would come from fence. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. This, my friend, is the only example of praying to a dead saint in Scripture. Did you see it? Did you notice it? He says, I pray thee, therefore, to Abraham. Perhaps that's also why he was in hell. But that's not to disannul this theft. Abraham was in the kingdom, right? The kingdom was considered Abraham's bosom. Had he seen Yahshua, it would have been Jesus' bosom. Just like I told you about in the Gospel according to John. Because in the Hebrew and the Greek, it denotes closeness. He said, I pray, therefore, that you would send then Lazarus to the living, if it's too late for me. I'm in hell. Abraham says Lazarus cannot come over here and give me a drip of water off his fingertip. How about this? I have five brethren. Five being the number of grace in Scripture. You would think grace would be extended, but not so, right? These five brethren that he says go and tell and warn them so they also don't burn in hell like me. The rich man says send them to my father's house. I have five brethren. And I do not want them to come into this place of torment. So, remember that coming out the gate. Pray to Yahweh God and Yahweh God alone. That might be part of the reason. Notice he prayed to Saint Abraham, right? But it didn't avail him anything. So don't pray to saints. Pray to Yahweh God. Anyway. Now, we're gonna wind it down right here because this is the disillusionment of wicked and deceived unbelievers. Right? The disillusionment. It's too late now. But yet it does not stop him from crying out, from appealing to God saying, free me from this torment. Abraham saith unto him in verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Stopping right there. They have Moses and the prophets. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Because I already established here in verse 16, Yahshua taught the law and the prophets were until John. Until John. John the Baptist had already come and gone at this time. Was already put to death. Abraham's response to the certain rich man is, well, they have Moses and the prophets. What's that? The Old Testament. The Pentateuch and the minor prophets. They have the Old Testament. You understand what's being said? You also have the book. And 98% of people out there do not even know why it is that they believe what it is they believe. You understand that? They don't research. They don't look into the Word of God. They don't have a yardstick. They only believe because that's what they believe. They don't even question why they believe it. Because they're spoon-fed propaganda from the television. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And so it stands for you. If you find yourself in a place of eternal torment, you're going to be told the same exact thing. And so also, as you walk, you have the law. Do you not? Therefore, if you're deceived by another man, you can't blame that other man. You can't come in and say, Billy Graham deceived me. Why? You have Moses and the prophets. You'll be told the same exact thing. Let them, who? The certain rich man's family. Hear them, Moses and the prophets, Go back to the Bible. And he said, who the rich man? Nay, Father Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Right? If one was risen from the dead, well, surely everyone would understand that. But if you just go back and you say, hey, you know, one of your family members, that certain rich man died, and he's now within the abode of hell, they would laugh you to scorn. They would come in and say it couldn't happen. Right? Right? But if one risen from the dead goes back, they might believe that. And that's what the rich man was asking Abraham to do. To send back Lazarus, the leper, to warn his rich family. Do you not see how everything turned 180 degrees? As he lived, it was great. But as he died, he was in a place of eternal torment. And it's been 2,000 years, friend. 2,000 years. The man lived, if he was lucky, 120. What? A waste, my friend. But he said, If one went to them from the dead, they will repent. Final verse of this study, and the final verse in this set of passages that makes up Yahshua's parable of Lazarus and dies. Abraham's response to the rich man in hell is, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Very, very important statement because it explains to you why it was that even when Yahshua died and ascended into the kingdom of heaven, when the veil of the temple was in two, when the sky was darkened, they wouldn't believe. What you're being taught here is straightforward. It's common sense. Because if a person doesn't hear Moses and the prophets as they live, they won't be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Yeshua rose from the dead. That's the only sign given, a wicked and perverse generation. Yeshua rose from the dead, and even now, people come in and they say, hey, he didn't do it. That was the sign that was given them. So, remember that point. You're not extended further grace once judgment is pronounced. If you do not believe Moses and the prophets as you lived, you won't be persuaded, though one rose from the dead which is what Jesus Christ did. No man down here is going to be persuaded into the reality of Christ unless he's familiar with Moses and the prophets. And so it stands. These New Testament Christians who come in and say the Old Testament is done away with, spitting in the eye of Yahshua because he taught opposite of that, will not be persuaded, though Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So it does not matter whether Lazarus goes or Jesus Christ himself goes. If you're not persuaded by the word of God, then you won't be persuaded when one lives again. Why? It was the word of God that should have made the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and most assuredly the multitude of Israelite men, women, and children familiar with who Yahshua was, because in him he fulfilled all the law and the prophets, right? He even said, until the time of John, we had Moses and the prophets. So, please, dear kids, folk, do not underestimate the reality of eternal torment. A majority of men who come in and tell you hell is not literal are, in my estimation, going to hell. And it makes perfect sense, does it not? Because Yeshua said that the Pharisee knew that he was not entering into the kingdom. So where would he go? Across the gulf, right? And would desire to keep others from entering therein. The Pharisees obviously did that in today's allegory, right? The Pharisees most likely came in, like Billy Graham does to the rich today, actors and hypocrites, and says, it's okay. Don't go around, Lazarus. But the law and the prophets, Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah, and even the minor prophets, all teach to do good to your neighbor, to do good to your kinsfolk. And that is why, my friends, the rich man found himself in the abode of the dead and Lazarus within the kingdom for eternity, within Abraham's bosom. And that is where each and every one of us should be desiring to be. And so, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, wanting to thank the two or three few people who, who do support this ministry. Until next time, great studies. War for Christ. Amen.
0: Covenant People's Ministry! Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. That wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.